Let's pray together and ask the Lord to meet us in the word today. I love the transforming power of your word. Uh, Like you had David write, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting, changing, transforming the soul. Thank you. This isn't just a book. is isn't just ink on a page. This is living and active. And Lord, you've been transforming our marriages through your word, by your grace. And Jesus, we need more of that today. So would you come and, and work through the word to bring transformation? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So if you asked married couples... Uh, What's the biggest problem in your marriage? I think a lot of them would say the biggest problem has to do with sex, right? Um, Sex and money. I hear those are the two biggest ones, so sex is right up there. I mean, we all have this idea, and and I think it's right, that, that in marriage, sex should be joyful and pleasurable and fun and intimate and and a bonding part of our marriage. And, and it can often start off that way, but then over time, that changes. And, and over time, sex can become stale. Um, it can become a point of contention and, and bitterness and, and conflict. It can become non-existent. So the series we're doing is, I've called it Grace-Based Marriage because my longing is that we would see Jesus' grace transforming our marriages in specific areas. And what I want to tell you is that Jesus' grace can transform your marriage in the sexual area. No matter how much pain, no matter how much discord, no matter how difficult it can be, Jesus' grace can transform your marriage in in the sexual area. And that's what I'm praying he's going to start to do this morning as we open up the word. But now, so where should we go to find out how to see our marriages transformed? Because some of you might think, you know, the Bible is like the last place you'd want to look to, to see anything helpful about sex because the Bible's kind of prudish about sex, kind of embarrassed about sex, kind of, you know, eh. But if that's what you think about the Bible, you haven't read the Bible because the Bible is amazingly candid and open in its celebration of the pleasures of sex in the context of marriage. And so the Bible is exactly where we should go to receive Jesus' grace to transform this area. And so the passage I'd like us to focus on is 1 Corinthians 7. So let's go ahead and turn there. I'd like you all to have a Bible to to, uh, study this passage with us. So if you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand, and we'll pass one out to you. 1 Corinthians 7 is on page 955 in the Bibles we're passing out. Now, crucial to understand the book of 1 Corinthians, this passage and many other passages, is that you get the background of of the book. So here's the background. Be sure to get this. Uh, Corinth was a bustling harbor city up in the northern Mediterranean area. Paul traveled there. Paul the Apostle traveled there, preached about Jesus. A church was planted, and then Paul left to go plant other churches. During the years while Paul was gone, some false teaching came into the church, some division um, rose up, some discord happened, and so the, the leaders in the church at Corinth wrote Paul a letter sharing with him some of the things they were wondering about, some of their recent convictions, and they asked Paul to give his opinion. So the letter of 1 Corinthians is Paul's answer to their letter. 
This is his answer to the letter they'd written him asking him a number of questions. So what you have to understand is that there's places in 1 Corinthians where Paul quotes their letter stating what they believe, not what he believes, what they believe. And then Paul corrects what they believe, and that's what Paul does here in verse 1 of 1 Corinthians chapter 7. So look at what he writes. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, so there Paul's referring to the letter from them, asking him questions, getting his feedback. Concerning the matters about which you wrote, and then here he quotes their letter. Quote, It is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. End quote. So that's their idea. Paul corrects them in verse 2. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife, and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again, sexually is the context here, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now as a concession, not a command I say this, this idea of being apart to pray for a while. Verse 7, I wish that all were as I myself am, single, But each has his own gift from God, one of one kind, marriage, and one of another, singleness. Okay, as I pondered these seven verses this week, I found three truths, which I I think if we will lay hold of each of these three truths, trusting them, asking for the Holy Spirit to renew our hearts and minds with them, I think our marriages can be transformed. I would guess every marriage here could do better in the sexual area. Every marriage here, okay? And so this will help. Here's the first truth. Sex is a good and holy gift from God for those who are married. Look again at verse 1. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, quote, here's what they wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. They'd somehow gotten the idea that if you wanted to be really holy, really spiritual, really committed to Christ, then even if you were married, you would abstain from sexual relations because sex wasn't holy and spiritual. And see, I I think this is important because I would guess that some of you probably have a little bit of that in your mind for various reasons, where you, th- you feel like maybe it's a necessary evil, it's kind of an animal thing, kind of maybe a little bit dirty or nasty, but okay, you're married or whatever. And I think many of us need to have our minds transformed with what the scriptures say about sex. And that's what Paul is seeking to do here. Paul's correction is in verse 2. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife, and each woman her own husband. Now, that have his own wife and each woman have her own husband, that's not just be married, 
Gordon Fee, in his commentary, I think he's right, he says this means each man should have his own wife sexually. Each woman should have her own husband sexually. Each man, each woman should enjoy his or her spouse sexually. That's what Paul's calling us to do. And then Paul gives two reasons for this. One is right there in verse 2, because of the temptation to sexual immorality. And another reason is down in verse 7. It's because marriage, including sex, is a gift from God. It's God's good and holy gift to us in marriage. Okay, so Paul totally disagrees with any idea that if you want to be really holy, really spiritual, you'll abstain from sex. Now let me give you one other passage from Paul just to drive that point home so you can see another place where he says the same thing. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4. Verses 1 through 5. Page 992 in the Bibles we just passed out. It seems that in the early church, there was a false teaching circulating that somehow marriage, sex, it's, it's called asceticism, where the body is material and spiritual is better, and so there's this kind of, if you really want to be spiritual, you'll, you'll disregard the body and sex and, that, and food and that kind of thing. You'll see that reflected here. And that's where that had kind of snuck into the church at Corinth. So look at verses 1 through 5, 1 Timothy 4. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. That's a long sentence saying there's going to be false teaching in the later times. That's the last days between Pentecost and the second coming of Christ. That's where we are right now. That's where Timothy was then. There's going to be false teaching. What, what was this false teaching? What did they teach? Verse 3. Who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good. And nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God in prayer. So sexual relations in marriage are a gift from God, a good gift from God, and sex in marriage is made holy, last line there, by the word of God. That is, we, we, we follow what God has said about sex. It's in marriage... And we'll see more in 1 Corinthians 7 of what he says. So we, we, as we follow sex according to the word, and then as we thank him in prayer for this precious gift, sex in marriage is made holy. Some of you need to just like maybe write that on a piece of paper somewhere and ponder that. It's holy. It's God's good and holy gift to us. And then what, what Paul is saying here in 1 Corinthians 7, 1 Timothy 4, it's all through the Bible. Let me give you one more verse. Proverbs 5, 18 through 19. Very strong verse. That's page 530 in the Bibles we passed out. Proverbs chapter 5, verses 18 and 19. Here's what we read. Let your fountain be blessed. Now, in the context here, fountain is a metaphor for your wife as a fountain of thirst-quenching water for you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely deer, a graceful 
doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Now, that's not metaphor. That's like literal, okay? And the point here is, man, it's, it's your wife's body, only your wife's body, that you are to delight in always. So delight in your wife's body always, but only your wife's body, okay? This wonderful connection. The context here is talk about adulteresses and so on. But this is a command for husbands to enjoy his wife's body. Don't you love that? Men, don't you love that? I love that command. I mean, how kind of God to command me that. Anyway, okay. Now, back to, sorry, hon. Back to 1 Corinthians 7, okay? So, you've got to see, what Paul wants to correct is an idea that I would guess that some of us deal with, if you're honest with yourself, and it was in the church at Corinth that somehow sex was less than holy and spiritual. And there's lots of reasons why you might have tainted or kind of sordid views of sex. I mean, if you've been molested in your past, that could profoundly affect how you think of sex. Right? If, I mean, when you see sex crimes described in the media, or you just see the way that sex is portrayed in, in many movies, it's just, ah, it, it, can, it can distort it. Um, your own past sexual sin and the guilt of that could be, could be coupled to make you end up with just kind of a negative view of sex. There's lots and lots of reasons why we can be wrong in not seeing sex the way that scripture describes it as a good and holy gift from God. But see, here's the good news. Jesus' grace can transform any wrong ideas that you have in your mind, in your heart about sex. He can transform them. Past sexual sin, which maybe has... um, distorted your view of sex as you come before the cross and confess your past sexual sin and ask Jesus to forgive you and you mean it. He will forgive you and he will start a mind and heart renewing project to change the harm that's been brought, the ways your thinking has been colored, he can change that. If you've been molested, if you just have kind of had a sordid view from things you've heard, things you've seen, things that you've read, as you soak your heart and mind in the scriptures, pray with another brother if you're a brother, another sister if you're a sister, your mind can be renewed by the power of the Holy Spirit so that you start to see sex rightly. And see, if you, if you see sex wrongly, it's going to harm what God wants to do in your marriage. And the good news is that Jesus will help you with that by his grace. He will heal, he will restore, he will renew your mind. So so pursue that. Sex is a good and holy gift from God for marriage. Okay, now I've, I've described how wonderful sex is in marriage. Now I need to balance that for the sake of you singles by saying something else that Paul says in this passage. And that is that sex is not essential. Here's what I mean. Look at what Paul says in verse 7. I wish 
that all were as I myself am. Paul's single. Okay? But each has his own gift from God. One of one kind and one of another. Okay, see, Paul was single. Paul saw singleness as a gift from God. And so what Paul is saying is that marriage is God's gift for some. Singleness is God's gift for others. Marriage with sexual relations is God's gift for some. Singleness with, what's the word? The word has slipped my mind. Abstinence, chastity, there's another word I'm thinking about. Anyway, if you think of it, celibacy. Okay, singleness with celibacy is God's gift for for others. That's what Paul is saying here. Now, if you, if you want to get married, Paul would say, get married. But he would say, in the meantime, the gift that God has given to you is singleness with celibacy. That's his gift to you. And since his gift to you in the meantime is singleness with celibacy, that shows that sex is not essential. Now, I want to wave this banner this morning because lots of Lots of our culture would say that sex is essential. It's essential for psychological well-being is the impression that you get. You know, there's all the jokes about the 40-year-old virgin and all that kind of stuff. So you've got to get this right. This is really crucial. Sex is not at all essential. You can be completely alive psychologically, vibrant, whole sec- uh, psychologically without sex. The most psychologically alive whole and healthy human being that has ever lived was Jesus. And he never had sex. So let Jesus dispel your notions that somehow sex is essential for you to be whole or healthy psychologically. It is completely untrue. Sex is is also not essential physically. Okay, It's, It's not like food. Without food you will die. Without sex you will not die. Now, it doesn't mean that there won't be battles in resisting sexual temptation. I mean, Paul himself, I'm not sure if he's talking about sexual temptation here. He very well may have been. He says, I buffet my body and make it my slave so I won't be disqualified after preaching the gospel to others. So the gift of singleness, I don't think, means you won't be tempted. I think it means that in the temptation, in the battle, God will give you the grace to resist. That's the gift that God gives you, is the grace to, to resist. But sex is not essential physically. Your body functions fine without sex. Now, I I need to throw in, there's things you can look at and think about that will make it feel like it's essential. Right? But that's not very wise. For example, let's say you're going to fast and pray tomorrow. How wise would it be to, around lunchtime, fire up the barbecue and throw a tri-tip on there to sizzle away while you sit next to it praying and fasting. (laughs) Right? The only way I think you could pull it off in the Holy Spirit with Jesus' power to be single and celibate is to be vigilant, ruthlessly vigilant with what you see and what you think about. Otherwise, you're trying to fast while you're sitting next to the barbecue. Right? And there's things you can do that make it feel like it's essential, but it's never essential. And so I want to just, because here we're celebrating the gift of sex in marriage. Many of you are single, and so I want to have you leave strong in the fact that there's nothing essential that you're missing. 
You have everything you need, like all the songs we sang this morning. Jesus will give you grace. You'll need to be vigilant and diligent in the process. But you are whole. You're satisfied. You're content. It'll be war. Jesus will give you grace. You can do it. Okay? If you're single. And, you know, married folks need to deal with sexual temptation too. So married folks make the necessary applications as well. All right. We'll come more to that in a second. So back to the passage. If you're married... We want Jesus' grace to transform us in every area, including the sexual area. And a crucial first step is, what do you really think about sex, truly? Be honest with yourself. And let the Lord transform and renew your mind. That's the first truth I saw. Second is, husbands and wives should seek to give each other sexual pleasure. Verse 3. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. So husbands, God commands you to give to your wife her conjugal rights. That means you should seek her sexual pleasure. That should be your foremost desire in sexual relations. Not your pleasure. Her pleasure should be your foremost Desire there. Now, that doesn't mean that if every time you have sex, your wife doesn't have a fantastically fulfilled time, doesn't mean that you've sinned there. Okay, Men's and women's bodies are different, right? But this should be your aim and your longing. All right? I love how candid the Bible is about this. Now, wives, same for you. Your desire should be for your husband's sexual pleasure. Okay? I mean, there's kind of a stereotype around, right? Where the husband wants lots of sex and the wife every once in a while puts up with it. That's completely unbiblical. Okay? Jesus wants you women, just like the men. Men should seek your sexual pleasure. You, wife, should seek the sexual pleasure of your husband. Now, this assumes something that's really important. Lots of communication about sex. How do you know it's going to please the other unless you talk? And, and, and that, I mean, the thought of you talking about sex together could be very difficult if you've grown distant over the years and if there's other bitternesses and unforgivenesses that have piled up. But So men, I'm going to talk to you now. You're the head of your marriage. You need to humble yourself and take the risk and initiate conversation about these things. And that can be really scary. Okay, But Jesus calls you to do it. So humble yourself and say, Hun, could we... Can we talk about what, we, what Pastor Steve talked about or whatever you want to say, you know? But communication is going to be key. Now look at verse 4, a verse that's very often misunderstood, I think. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Now, you can misunderstand this to think that this means that the husband commands the wife to have sex or the wife commands the husband to have sex. But verse 3 makes that impossible. Because remember, each of you has the other's sexual pleasure as your goal. Here's what I think Paul is saying here. Weigh this, see if this makes sense to you. Paul is saying you, husband or wife, you do not have authority over your own body. That is, you don't do sexually whatever, whenever you want to do it. You don't have authority over your own body. You let your spouse, 
his or her pleasure, his or her desires, where, where, where he or she is at. You let your spouse be the authority over what you do sexually. It's another way of saying the same thing that verse 3 already says. So the point isn't, I have sexual authority over you. It's not the point of the verse at all. The point is, I'm going to let you, my wife, have sexual authority over me. That is, your needs, your desires, your interest is going to be the determining factor for what I do, how I operate sexually. Does that make sense? So there's no place in the Bible where husbands are commanding their wives to have sex or wives are commanding their husbands to have sex. Nowhere. It's an amazing, I mean, this passage is just sweet and tender with mutuality and love and care. I mean, if marriage is operated this way, it'd be awesome. Mutuality, sensitivity, seeking the other's pleasure, a lot of hot sex. Okay, so, all right. Now, perfect time to raise one of, one of the really good questions that was raised. Okay, it said, biblically speaking, are we going to put this up here? That's good. Go to the next one. Biblically speaking, can a woman say no to sex when her husband wants it? That's a really important question, isn't it? Biblically speaking, can a woman say no to sex when her husband wants it? Now, I think that in, in, in this case, verses 3 and 4 will, will help give the framework for the answer. It would help the husband to see that what he should want more than sex is to serve his wife. Okay, husband, do you see that? What you should want more than sex is to serve your wife. A, a, a husband, a man, should never demand sex from his wife. Ever. Okay? Never. So, men, if your wife would rather not have sex tonight, and you would like to, you should graciously suggest maybe, maybe some other night this week. That's what you should do. Okay? Verses 3 and 4 would also help the wife here to see that what she should want most of all is to serve her husband. Okay? Now, there can be physical or health reasons for saying no, but the wife's overall desire and longing is to serve her, her husband. And so there's this mutuality. So it's in the framework of verses 3 and 4 that these questions get worked out. Okay, now, what should you do if one of you wants sex more than the other? Okay, that's almost always the case. Sometimes it's the husband, sometimes it's the wife. I've heard it both it goes both ways. What should you do? Okay, what you're going to need to both do is both move towards the other. You both will need to seek to move towards the other. Jesus will give one of you the grace to want sex more. And Jesus will give the other the grace to want sex less. Jesus' grace will do that as you seek to move towards the other. He will enable you with this. And make, make it a matter of earnest prayer, individually, together, and, and watch what Jesus will do. Okay, another question. What if you have a spouse who's just not responsive sexually at all? Okay, that happens. This would be very 
painful. This would be very tragic. This would be difficult. Very difficult. So what I want to say is that Jesus will give you grace if this is your situation. Your role is to pray for your spouse, appeal to your spouse, love, serve, forgive, care for your spouse. I don't think this is grounds for divorce and remarriage. We'll talk about this more next week. It's not adultery. It's not abandonment. You might want to talk to a godly woman to maybe talk to your wife or a godly man to talk to your husband. And Jesus will enable you to go without sex in the meantime. He will. He will enable you to. Because sex is not essential. Like we said earlier. And he will gift you with what you need in the meantime. And if this is you, we'd like to have some brothers rallying around you if you're a man to support you and pray, women rallying around you if you're a woman to support and pray, to be the body of Christ to you, to weep with you, to pray with you. Jesus will, will meet you. He will meet you. It won't be easy. It'll take everything that you've got, and he'll give you everything you need. He will meet you. Okay, one last truth, briefly. Sex is a spiritual weapon. Verses 5 and 6. Do not deprive one another. Do not deprive one another, except, perhaps, by agreement, both of you agree, for a limited time. See all these words that Paul uses here? I get the impression that they said, you know, is it good to pray together? And, And he says, well, except, perhaps, agreement limited, that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again sexually so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. And I think that verse 6, some take it as referring to the next section. It could go either way. Both are true. I think it refers to this section. Nothing huge um, hinges on that. I think he's saying it's a concession to give any encouragement to abstain from sex for a while. It's not a command. It's just a concession. If you want to, fine, but I'm not commanding it. Don't get the wrong idea. And one very practical reason why Paul wants men and women together, husbands and wives together sexually, is because, as he says, Satan won't tempt you then because of your lack of self-control. There's just this stark reality that Satan will seek to tempt your spouse. Satan will seek to tempt your wife sexually. Satan will seek to tempt your husband sexually. And so as you are responsive to your husband, as you're responsive to your wife sexually, that will foil Satan's plan. I love just what Paul does here because some people get kind of super spiritual and it's like, you know, prayer. I mean, isn't prayer a powerful way to overcome Satan's temptations? Absolutely. Powerful way. Don't stop praying. Prayer is a powerful way to overcome Satan's temptations. Sex is too. You see that? Sex is a powerful way to overcome Satan's temptations. And so here's what I would suggest. If you have recurring difficulties... Um, maybe as a couple, you could meet with another godly couple and talk and pray about this and get their counsel. Please do that. Don't, don't just stay where you are. Talk to another godly couple and ask for them to pray and to counsel and to work with you. It may be helpful to get checked out medically 
See, there's medical issues. Okay, Take that step. Take that step. Make your sexual relationship a priority. Set aside time for your sexual relationship. Talk about it together. Pray about it together. See it as a good and holy gift from God for a husband and wife. Enjoy the good gift that God has given you. And as you, as you do that, Satan's plans will be thwarted. Because sex is a spiritual weapon. Okay, let's see what questions this has raised. Anybody going to raise a question this morning? I, I hope you will. 1 Corinthians 7, 8 and 9. To the unmarried and the widows, I say it's good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. You're probably asking about verse 9. That's, that's the, that's a, a, it's a hard verse for me to understand. Let me just say this. What most commentators say is that if a single person finds that the battle for celibacy, first of all, anybody who's single will receive from God's grace everything you need to be celibate. Okay. Some single people might find that the battle to stay celibate takes such an inordinate amount of energy and effort to both resist the sexual temptation and to be content without a life partner that you would conclude, I want to move towards marriage. That's why I take verse 9. And then you would move towards marriage. Paul would say, move towards marriage, if that's where you find yourself. If you find a spouse, then, you, then God's given you the gift of marriage. If you haven't, then he's still going to give you the gift of singleness, and he will still give you the grace to resist the sexual temptation and the desire for a companion of, of, of a marriage sort. That's the best I've been able to do. I've wrestled with that verse this week. That, that's what I think Paul's talking about here. I don't think that the, that the gift of singleness means you never have any sexual temptation at all. I... That's not how gifts work. Remember, Timothy had a gift, and Paul says, Timothy, stir up your gift. Gifts can be stir- need to be stirred up at times with effort and energy. And so the gift of singleness, may need to, that is the gift of contentment without a life partner, without sex, may need, that may need to be stirred up with effort and energy. What if you, the question is, what if you dream about having sex with another person than your spouse? I would just simply... Um, Say, Jesus, help me. I don't want to, to do that. Would you cleanse my mind? I'm asleep while, you're while you're sleeping. This is not a fantasy while you're awake. This is a dream while you're sleeping. I'll just simply ask Jesus to forgive you and to cleanse your mind, and I'd, I'd move on. That's what I would do. Good question. And Paul mentioned that later in this chapter. So that's right. The, the freedom to move around to advance the gospel is part of the benefits of the singleness gift package. Right on. Well said. My answer to that, which, as we've talked, is that the good that Moses refers to in Genesis is not exclusively focused on the good that comes from marriage. It's the good that comes from community. Marriage is an aspect of community. 
but communities broader than just marriage. And so that's, that's how I think they're resolved. I mean, you can, somebody else could weigh in on that if you want to. Because otherwise, if you're single, um, then, then you are left with something that is fundamentally not good. And, and that's not how Paul describes singleness at all. So, and and Tom, Tom knows that the Bible's not contradicting itself and that Paul's not contradicting Moses. So. But that's my understanding, is that, is that in, in Genesis, um, the good there is the good of community, which can be met in marriage and can be met in other ways. All the passages having to do with sex are involved in affirming it in marriage. And um, the assumption is that singleness involves celibacy. And that any kind of sexual thoughts that are not directed towards your wife in a serving way, in a serving time, would be wrong. So that's why I think masturbation is wrong. So, good question. This is helpful. And God will give you grace to resist the temptation and to satisfy your heart. And this is because in, in marriage too, there will be seasons where you, you, you won't have sex. Okay? Might be a night, might be a week, might be a month, might be right? There's seasons. And what you have to understand with, with all of my desire to, to elevate sex as a good and holy gift from God, you have to also understand that it's not essential. Because if you think it's essential, you, you're not going to be able to resist temptation very long. Right? It is not essential. And Jesus will give you grace to resist, and he will satisfy your heart. It will take war, and he will meet you in the war. Sure. No, right. Good, good point. It's a, it's a thought issue. Very good. Okay, unless there's one more, let's, 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 uh, let's pray. Let's, let's stand together. I just want to pray over us. And if you would like prayer in this, I mean, this is a big issue. And I would guess some of you have a lot of pain about sexual things. And, and we love you, and we care about you, and we want to be standing with you, and weeping with you, and praying with you. We believe two things. Jesus will totally meet you. He will meet you. We don't mean that shallowly or flippantly or simplistically. He will meet you in the pain and in the war and in the battle. And we would be honored to stand with you and pray with you. So if you're a woman in pain over this area, why don't you ask a godly woman to pray with you and to to connect with you. And man with, with some godly men. And if you need suggestions, I'd be happy to give you some suggestions as to who you could connect with. But don't, don't try to fight this battle or bear, or bear this burden alone. Jesus loves community. He'll meet you in community. So Lord, I, I pray that you would bring your power upon us. I pray for those who right now are feeling guilty about past sexual sin or recent sexual sin. Would you enable them to come to the cross and repent and turn back to you and surrender this part of their lives to you. And Jesus, through the cross, to receive forgiveness and cleansing. Cleanse them, Lord. For those who have very painful past sexual history, would you just cover that in your mercy and your grace, we pray. And start to renew their minds so that they could see and feel the truth about sex as a good and holy gift. For the single brothers and sisters among us, we love them, Lord. And the gift you've given to them, strengthen it. 
strengthen them. Help us to have the honor of standing with them in their battle and weeping with them and rejoicing with them and standing with them. And Lord, I pray that every marriage here would be transformed this week, that there could be communication, that there could be love, that there could be patience and understanding, that spouses could serve each other. Put that upon us, Lord, I pray. So bring your grace, bring your mercy, bring your power.